Hello, friends, and welcome to the Optimized Advisor Podcast, where we focus on optimizing the well-being and best practices of insurance and financial professionals today. On this show, our objective is to help you optimize your life, optimize your profession, and learn from other optimized advisors. I'm your host, Scott Heinela. We hope you enjoy the show. All right, so Cynthia Spiegel, welcome yes. to the Optimize Advisor podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I do really appreciate you coming in today. Uh, a little secret to tell, you may have noticed, this is the first in-person podcast we are recording and attempting in this room. I did not know that, but okay. that's actually really cool. I thought it might have been a little obvious based on me bouncing around. No, I really, I, I didn't really notice that, but yeah. that's really cool. We've done many episodes, obviously. Yeah. I think close to 100, which is a great milestone. But not uh, right here. But not yeah. right here. Love it. Um, so sincerely, welcome. Thank you. And you and I were introduced, and then I'll let you talk a little bit about yourself and your background through a wonderful person that we mutually know. Yep. Cheryl uh, Hickerson with Females in Finance. And then you do know Beth Moss or you know of Beth Moss? I know of her. Okay. I have not met her personally. And in the in the you know effort of Females in Finance to help one woman at a time and their male ally network, which is the role I play a little bit in, <laughs> kind of call upon or, or uh, help out when called upon. Yep. Um. What a what an incredible person with an incredible amount of energy, right? Hundred percent. So kudos to her. Yes, I don't think I could keep up. Sometimes it's exhausting, <laughs> uh, but that's why she has people like us, I think, to help balance it out. Yeah, put some guardrails <laughs> in place. Yeah. Um, so if you can tell me a little bit about yourself Absolutely. and uh, your past. What and what brings you here today? Besides us having this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I don't know if others have had this kind of experience of of how they got into this, you know, the financial industry space. But I like to say I was sort of sucked into it, um, and I'm so grateful that I was. Um, grew up only child. When you say yeah. sucked into it, like tractor beam pulling you in. Like never in a million years did I grow up thinking. Not even financial. Like I, I'd, I'd really love a career in finan anything financial or insurance. None of that. None of that. Um, I thought I wanted to be a psychiatrist at one point. Realized I absolutely hated science, and I don't know how typical this is these days. But get to the end of college or junior year, and I'm thinking I don't know what the heck I want to do. Like I, I, I really I don't want to go bouncing job to job. What's next? What was your unit? What was your major? Uh, communication and business minor. Okay. Um, and a Spanish double, you know, Spanish double minor. Right. Loved communication. That was a really cool degree, actually. Um, but I'm like, well, what do I do with that, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, two of my girlfriends were going to law school, and I thought, well, that sounds smart. Right. <laughs> so. Talking to my parents, my, my father is my... Good student. You are naturally a good student. You know, this is funny. So yes, I was naturally a good student without having to try that hard. And I will say I had not really tried that hard or really challenged myself. And thank God for, you know, my supportive parents. My father said, absolutely go to law school. I don't even care if you become an attorney. You will never regret that degree. Mm -hmm. And something just flipped for me in law school and like, I think I just was so fearful of not passing because it was like one test mm -hmm. per course and mm -hmm. you either pass or fail. 
and that pressure, I just turned into the most studious machine ever. And something just lit up in me after that. Um, And so the sucking in was, I realized I didn't want to practice law. Um, And the reason I realized that is because a very dear friend of my father's who had been an insurance agent at Northwestern Mutual since I had been a baby, sold him some term insurance, had been in our lives and said, well, let me introduce her to some attorneys for internships and whatnot. And most important interview I ever had in my life was for an internship. And the attorney looked at me in the middle and he said, can I just ask you something? Are you excited about practicing law? Like, do you want to do this? And I, of course, am like embarrassed. Like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I'm not, you know, energetic enough here. And I said, well, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. And he said, I'm just telling you. He said, I'm not upset. I'm not, you're not like, you know, ruining this interview. He said, but the best advice I can give you if you are not really excited about it, run. Mm-hmm. Do not go down this path. And that was it. I went home and I said, I don't think I want to practice law. And that same insurance agent at the time, who's now a big owner of a, of a full wealth planning firm, said, you got to come do what I do. And I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, sell this? insurance? Right. I said, I don't have a selling bone in my body. Like, no, this is a terrible idea. And long story short, he sold me on, and I'm so glad he did, the impact, right? Like you're not selling cell phones, like you're selling financial security, whether mm-hmm. it's insurance and risk management or beyond. And uh, very long story short, I went through the torture for me of being an actual advisor for the first year, hated every minute of it, the prospecting, you know, getting clients to say yes. I, I just, I hated it. And my managing partner saw an opportunity to bring me into the compliance side, I ended up overseeing compliance at a time when it was really starting to explode. This was back in 2005, and more wealth planning Mm -hmm. and wealth management was starting to happen in the broker-dealer insurance space. And so I I accelerated there. Um, My personality, though, was I don't want to be an adversary. Like, that Mm -hmm. was not my nature. And so it just became my my instinct to want to be partnering with all these advisors. Like, what can I do to make this stuff easy for you? Interesting. How do I make you more efficient in bringing in compliance? Like, how do I make it a competitive advantage for you? Mm-hmm. And I built so many relationships during that time. Um, my managing partner ended up giving me other leadership roles. I ended up getting the CFP. Eventually, maybe a little bit masochistic, went back to being an advisor. Um, but mm. this time I had a business partner and he was doing all of the business development. And I was helping in meetings with client experience, but then building and growing the team mm-hmm. and building the infrastructure and, and helping him really with the vision. And I looked at him one day and said, that's what I want to do. Like, mm-hmm. I want to go help more people like so you. So you're terrible at strategy. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, no, I mean, that's, that's very my thing. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, the, you know, what we on the sales side refer to compliance as, right? I'm uh, sure you've heard it. I mean, the, the, you've heard it all. Oh, the business prevention unit. Business and prevention all team. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And you're like, no, I, I really don't want to be that. No. I want to figure out how we can partner. And they're like, exactly. I don't, I don't believe it. I, I will say it. the toughest, toughest advisors that had the most awful opinion about compliance are now some of my deepest, most collaborative friends even from when I was their compliance officer. Wow. Like it became more of a, hey, Cynthia, something's popping up here that we're worried about. What do we do? Like, how do we get in front of this? Interesting. Or we need to get to a yes on this. How do we do that? Um, and I couldn't always 
get there completely, but I would help maybe try to navigate the system and really advocate for them, which is all they wanted. So were you, that whole tenure lasted until when? Uh, so all the way till when my business partner and I, I said, I want to go do this. He said, great, I'm your first client. You're and not specifically leaving me. specifically you want to go do what? Help other advisors, consult them to help build and institutionalize their practices. And your business was born. And, it, and I literally thought, and my family was like, how about take a minute? Don't rush into anything. I luckily was blessed. You know, at this point I was married for several years it wasn't about the revenue at this point. This was a, I wanted to have a fulfilling career. I was also trying to balance now being married to a physician who very, very good at his craft, mm -hmm. but I'm now CEO, COO, all the things for the household. And the stress was there. And mm -hmm. I said, I wanna have a very fulfilling career where I still have freedom and flexibility to be really good at supporting him and his practice in our life. Mm -hmm. um, so that was uh, end of 2017. Okay. Um, so my client, Austin, was you know my business partner. I start working with him just casually, just continuing the work we had mm -hmm. been doing. And within three months, he's like, I found somebody that wants to talk to you. Are you ready to like actually do this? And I was like, well, I'll talk to anyone. I was trying to take a break, but sure. Um, and there came my second client, who is now my biggest client. I'm basically a fractional COO and integrator. I don't know if you've ever read Traction by Gina Wickman. Uh, awesome book. Yeah. It's a whole visionary and integrator, kind of the Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak pairing, right? Yes. Um, visionaries up in the clouds, but amazing vision, but needs someone to help actually execute on all those things, people in process. Mm -hmm. um, and so that my second client decided about a year ago, oh my gosh, we're exploding. We need as much of you as we can have. Like, what does that look like? Um, and so I've got that engagement, which is very unique. And then I've got, you know, less than 10 other high functioning teams um, that I help either once a month, twice a month, and working with them to really build out their vision, working with their ops people, working with their, you know, either COO or director of ops to help with leadership and infrastructure and human capital. So not to uh, solicit this in any way, because no. that's not the objective, <laughs> no. but to understand the range at yeah. which your involvement can be. And let's start with the second customer, yep. who's your largest customer. Would you... Uh, Explain that though, as you're intimately involved in most aspects of the operations of that practice. Yep. Okay. And does that include the 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 onboarding of new employees? Yeah. It, it, well, like, yes, in the sense. What that lanes are you playing in intimately there? And then yep. I would love to see the other end of the spectrum where just the toes in the water. Yep. So. Um, Basically imagine the directors in that organization informally report to me because I'm kind of in a consultant role, um, but it really does have the feel of they're reporting to me and I'm helping them see the strategic opportunities to, for example, improve new team member onboarding, right? And so I'm a little bit of the visionary and the strategy and the, hey, we need this let me get your feedback and let me help you execute on that. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? Um, what's the onboarding and training plan for this next person mm -hmm. where I want them to develop it, but I'm really hand-holding, especially right now as they're building and growing and don't necessarily have 
all the knowledge of how to think through those things, I'm really their strategic partner um, and and an accountability partner. A firm like that, two questions. Uh, first, uh, this visionary, yep. the profile of this person, is it something where you find yourself, because uh, they're always coming up with the newest idea, right? Always wanting to do something new, different. And sometimes it's so far distracted from what our core business is. Because even in our role, right? Like yep. very, very independently, I would not profess that we are true consultants in any capacity. Yep. But we are the sounding board in many, in many ways. And through building that trust and rapport, it's like these conversations divulge themselves. Right. And the most successful ones I find are the most uh, entrepreneuristic, if you, uh, is that the right word? Or entrepreneurial. Entrepreneurial, thank you, yes. <laughs> that one. Two, um, there, there, there's always more. Yep. And it, it's this shinier, brighter, right? Yep, faster. Yes. And I found myself having this conversation, I'm only, because this comes, it was a very in-depth a heartfelt conversation where barriers were broken down between this advisor and myself. And at the end of it, it was because he, he was on this path of wanting to do a completely yeah. like new business model and, and all the things. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, tell me about your current business. And the end of it all is I've got incredible advisors as part of our team who are organically part of the firm and I should be allocating more time to helping them excel in their business. Yep. I'm burning the wick at both ends. Yep. And yet you're telling me that in all of this, you're going to start basically new. a new business. <laughs> um, and so I guess I'm going around a little bit uh, speaking out loud in terms of my thoughts. But yeah. like, do you find that those individuals and you're having to come in and say, well, wait, time out here. A little bit, yeah. Let's, let's unpack this for a moment. Is this something that really is the right fit for our business at this point in time, or should we just shelve this? Totally. And and I will, in his defense, in case he listens to this, and I hope he does, um, he's not so, this particular client is not all over the map, but okay. it is very what's next and how we can produce and generate revenue as quickly as possible. Who can we bring onto the team? More lead advisors. And I am the one to go, time out. Let's make sure the infrastructure can actually handle mm -hmm. all this new business and revenue. Why? What's the purpose and what's the limit on limitations on the structure to bring on all of that extra revenue? Right. Like, what's the plan? Once it shows up, then what? Then and what? It's like, instead of, we'll figure that out later. And right? we don't think that way. Right. <laughs> we just think, let's pile it We'll figure it, on. it out later. Yeah. Um, and so it has taken a little bit of a pain point in this last year where suddenly the reality does set in of why don't you figure it out later? And I think this is kind of relevant to this whole, you know, topic of growing and managing your team, which we were talking about um, before today. If you don't slow down a little bit and make sure that the infrastructure is ready for these, let's add more, um, you, you constrain the team pretty substantially. Um, and you also strain the client experience and make it vulnerable to not being as smooth, not having the care and quality that you had envisioned, getting everybody, all the humans aligned on exactly what the process is, making sure the new people you're bringing on actually understand the brand and the culture and the philosophy. That takes a lot of time. Yeah. 
Um, and sometimes it's like, just get them on the bus. And it's like, no, then it won't work. Yeah. The word that comes to mind, I don't know if this is appropriate or not, but it's like dilution. Yeah. We're diluting yep. the experience that we're ultimately, I mean, best case scenario, what we want our client's experience to be, uh, what we want our team yeah. to be and feel and culture and all of these things. Uh, we, we need to be very deliberate and intentional and protective about diluting yeah. all aspects of our business ex- internally and externally. And I think all too often the the very successful advisors define define success. One aspect is like client development, right? I'm really really good at telling our story, and they there's the fire in them in many cases. And I can just keep doing doing, but then I'm stop. I'm never intending to. Let's be honest. It's like what's the housekeeping? Well, I know that if I don't housekeep or oversee housekeeping then the house is going to be in complete disarray right and it it's not easy but it, it, it to one extent it's like it is as simple as that yeah it is it is um, it's just not as fun for the visionary or the you know and this is where i think it really becomes critical to figure out the unique talents of everybody on the team including the owner advisor or multiple owner advisors whoever's doing the business development yeah, keep them in their lane, but make sure there's somebody else overseeing the infrastructure development strategy to make sure, hey, can we support all of the work that you're doing? And if not, we're not telling you stop selling, stop hunting, Mm -hmm. but let's be a little bit methodical and intentional about what that looks like. Okay, how do we do that? So, I mean, one is just, I mean, my opinion, every quarter there should be an all-firm meeting now that can be depending on the size of the firm you've got to have your leadership team meeting at least quarterly if not monthly i would say monthly in fact with this team we have a leadership meeting every month we're thinking about adding a second meeting um and then quarterly we get the entire firm together to really figure out hey is the vision still clear let's share that with the entire team so that they're all on the same page Mm -hmm. and we identify every quarter what are some bottlenecks? What are some client experience, you know, projects that mm-hmm. we want to make sure we enhance? And what are our concerns for infrastructure capacity based on our projections of how many more households do we think we're going to add based on what just happened in the last 12 months? Who's going to manage those households? How is the planning team going to actually manage the caseload of building plans? In fact, right now that just led to a decision to leverage a, um, a support service that's, that's provided by the broker-dealer. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to do that because the capacity is starting to fray. And we don't want to have to be reactive in six months of, oh, my gosh, we now have all of these cases and they're going really, really, you know, chaotically, mm-hmm. um, reactively, and instead get ahead of it. So right. we use those quarterly I mean, several days together, two days. Um, sometimes it's me meeting with individual team members, but the bulk of it, a day or day and a half, is the whole firm um, really working through some of these topics and having these 90-day, I don't know if you've ever, you know, read the 12-week oh, year. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just these little, you know, these little sprints of let's not get totally distracted with the thousand other ideas. What do we want to solve in the next 90 days? Can I ask you about 12-week year? Sure. How, it's been a while since I read it. Okay. <laughs> Hope so, it's not a quiz. Yeah, no, no, it's not. <laughs> just, just, it mo- It's more theoretical, 10,000-foot yeah. overview of like, 
because I was enamored by the concept of it. Yeah. But then it became very challenging as I went through the different roles in our firm of some individuals just really not connecting with the fact that how my, I don't even know how I apply yep. what it is that I do to a format that this makes sense for. Yep. And, and I couldn't help them get to the other side, not being an expert in it. I'm just, just in theory, right. Or in, I guess in practice, that whole overarching idea, do you find that it is something that is sound throughout any organization and sound practice? Or is it one of those things where it's conditional behaviorally, maybe the culture of the firm, the style of the firm? Yeah, I think you've got to really, and this is true, I would say for a lot of those books, right? You, you really have to kind of mold it to what your practice looks like mm -hmm. and make sense of it for the people in your firm. Right. So, you know, to your point, um, the investment onboarding specialist that just opens accounts all day, right? Like what, what is her perfect 12, example? What does her 12 week year look like? Yes. And this is where I would say that connection to the overall firm objectives and really getting that person excited about what the firm at the highest level is trying to do and helping them see where they're impacting that. Then they start to think about well, what can I do at the ground level to make the client experience even better and more efficient and mm -hmm. more scalable so that I can help with those goals that I just heard about that are really exciting to me about this firm. Right. And I think a lot of times that gets missed, that you've got these ops people and they're living in these little silos of their role, and I think that's a major miss. Get them connected to why their role really matters right. and what the ultimate actual result is of if you think about it, I mean, we had this discussion just a few weeks ago, that investment onboarding or insurance onboarding, they are the first real experience for a client. Mm -hmm. Like to me, that needs to be a true gem of a person. Yeah. They got to connect well. They've got to be really efficient, organized. You know, you don't hope people aren't going to be so nitpicky that if there's one little mistake, they're out the door. But it's first impressions matter, right? Yeah, yeah. But if they're not connected to why their work matters and you only do that when you get people together and you explain it to them as a firm, then they don't get it. Okay, so last thing I'll, I'll mention in that regard, but I'm sure applicable to many other, whether it's 12-week year or... Concepts, what, Yeah, yeah exactly. Them. Like the rigidity of, you know, if, if something didn't happen in my perfect formula... I'm now derailed and how do I, Yeah. okay, now my day, it's like, what next? <laughs> yeah. You know? And so some people I think really struggle with that because they're just, if, if a, you know, one plus one isn't equal to, yep. then everything's wrong. Yep. And I think it's, it's a mindset shift, right? So, and I think this has to come from the top down. So I think, you know, the leaders of the firm have to help adapt a 12 week year concept and help the people in the firm understand that it, it can't be rigid. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody says, well, you know, even like the, the concept of key performance indicators, right? Mm -hmm. So again, you take an investment onboarding person and they're like, what are my key performance indicators? Mm -hmm. And they get very like, well, I'm not, I'm not revenue producing. So I think you've got to have strong leadership to say, well, let's define mm -hmm. what that means in our context. Like, forget the book. Like, let's just take the overarching concept that we're going to focus on key objectives, projects over the next 90 days. Like, that's it. 
Okay, and I would argue probably all of your clients are challenged with that in some capacity. Yes, if they don't have somebody really either helping them see it that way and then holding them accountable. And I think that's why this particular client has realized, you know, it, it, it changed from a once a month coaching, consulting kind of relationship to, no, I need you in it, mm -hmm. like to help with these little bottlenecks of we got away from 12 week year. Why? Because nobody understood how it was helping them anymore or you know, whatever yeah. reason. So what's it going to be? Yeah. What is the model that we're going to adopt? So is it EOS mostly? I mean, it, to me, yes. I think there's, I take ideas from, my gosh, from, you know, Kitsis podcasts mm -hmm. and podcasts like yours. Like, I think that's another thing that's so important is take a concept, take a book, but then find out what other people in the industry are doing. Right. Listen to podcasts like this. Listen to Michael Kitsis and go, okay, concept is there, mm -hmm. but now how do I add some teeth to it? And what are some of the other, you know, thriving firms doing? Right. And, and having a, a sounding board like yourself to say, okay, this, this is where my thought process is going. This is the culture of our firm. Yep. How do we, how do we make this ours? Yeah. I'll give you a perfect example of that. It's, it's a Kitsis example. Um, you know, you have advisors that are like, oh my gosh, I saw this most amazing thing. Um, there's a, a, an advisor that was on Kitsis and they have a planning calendar where every quarter is a different theme. Brilliant, mm -hmm. right? So, mm -hmm. okay, so, you know, first quarter every year is estate planning. Um, doesn't mean you're not gonna talk about other things, but that's the theme. So you know, once a year, every client has at least been dangled, yep. prompted with that discussion, right? Yep. Great idea. Great idea. Long-term care in planning. In theory, in theory. Okay, in then, theory. Yep. so this is where the me comes in, right? And I'm like, okay, but, you don't actually touch every single client every single quarter. It doesn't end up working out that way sometimes. Uh -huh. And in fact, some clients, either they Once keep pushing year. it off or, you know, different service models. And it was like, okay, then I guess we can't do it. I'm like, well, no, this is where let's be creative, right? And so we ended up with different idea, um, planning checklist. So now have all of those concepts built into a really nice, you know, client-friendly, aesthetically pleasing menu of mm -hmm. sorts where every quarter you're bringing up the planning checklist mm -hmm. to help decide where you want to guide the conversation and what topics are going to be relevant. Right. But the, it's sometimes like yeah. a, I hit a wall, never mind, not doing it versus, well, is there something there? How do we make that fit? Your model. We just need to tweak this a little bit. And what does that look like? Okay. What about surveys? Do you find any of your customers, whenever they've been, do client customer surveys. client surveys, mm -hmm. uh, pros and cons? So it depends how you define survey, right? Um, the ones that, you know, I, this is just me. So if you're sending out some sort of email blast or survey monkey kind of thing, no, I don't, I don't think that's very gonna, automated and impersonal. It, it's automated and personal. Who's going to do it? Who has time? Right. right. Um, what I have found has been incredibly valuable and I've got several consulting friends who all agree. In fact, we share ideas about this is come up with, you know, let's say you want to make sure that you connect with your A plus clients four times a year at a minimum, but it doesn't necessarily always have to be the advisor having a discussion about products, performance, or planning. Mm -hmm. In fact, who wants to talk about that four times a year as a client? I don't. No. So don't force that on them, right? right? 
Um, in fact, don't create. It just becomes so repetitive. And don't create the expectation that they should be worried about their performance every quarter, right? Great, yeah. So like you're point. literally enabling them to now be like, what's happening, right? right. Um, so instead. And when we don't have the quarterly meeting, what's, what's going, going on? What's going on? Something's wrong, Damn right? It. Yeah, exactly. And so you dangle in. Maybe it's once a year. And again, you've got to kind of mold this to your to your practice. Have somebody else on the team. They don't even have to be licensed. Somebody who like really great at client relationships wants to grow in the firm, great client rapport, give them a five to six question little survey, mm -hmm. even individualize it to that client a little bit, mm. and go have lunch or coffee and get some feedback. Share the vision of the firm and why you're excited about it. Mm -hmm. um, a very good friend of mine, Penny Phillips, who has her own podcast and is now running an RIA, I, I will never forget her words. She's like, the best prospecting is to be obsessed with your business and share it with people as often as possible. Mm -hmm. And so you can do that with these types of survey meetings. And I, the word survey is not even the right, you know, it's almost just feedback and connect, right? Yeah, it, de it definitely would be coming up with a more, art, a more artistic or creative word yeah. of describing, really catching the engaging the kind of the, the pulse. Deep connect and deepen, 100%, right? Like you're connecting yeah. and deepening. And by the way, my, my biggest um, kind of passion around prospecting feeds into this. So I, I really, I can't stand the old school, who do you know, who do you know? And there's all this pressure a lot of times, and especially in the broker dealer insurance, like always ask for a name, ask as soon as you've met somebody for the first time. I'm like, please don't. Right. Like that's so tacky. Right. And I think these feedback conversations, there's an element of naturally conditioning clients to say out loud what's been really special about their experience with your firm. Ask the right questions. What have you learned? How has this been different than what you expected? Looking back, like, what are the most three impactful things, most impactful things we've done with you? Now they've said that out loud. Mm -hmm. And how much more likely if they're with somebody to say, you know, I've never felt more financially organized in my entire life, and it's because of this firm. Mm -hmm. But would they have said it that way had you not prompted that? No, because it just doesn't enter their mind. Right. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I With a little bit of time we do have left, um, impressive website. I think it was oh, very, very nicely you. done in that it's clean, it's concise, it's informative. It also breaks down your expertise in those three main uh, segments, if yeah. you will. But in that capacity and part of our conversation was uh, the challenges that, that uh, in general, I just think entrepreneurs face, yeah. but certainly wealth advisors who are running successful practices and how they manage the growth of their team. And we're seeing some firms just growing at an incredible clip, uh, probably more, more so than in many, many years. And it's also, you have these very interesting paradigms or business models. One am I going to grow through acquisition, yep. which is a whole subset of challenges, culture, monetization, how do you integrate, all of those things. And the other one is, no, we have an incredible marketing engine and our you know, onboarding process for bringing on new clients and hiring new advisors. is We've got that figured out. But you broke it down into kind of four specific bullet points and and where you specifically help with that. So if yeah. we can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. I um, said a mouthful there. No, 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 it's good. Um, so, you know, I think the, and 
haven't looked at my website lately, but you know, <laughs> I think about um, the onboarding itself, right? We said this earlier of how do you actually develop a consistent, scalable program all the way from what kind of interview questions are you going to ask? What right. do those conversations look like? And who's involved? Who on the team is involved? Like, how are you, what are you looking for in this person besides their resume, right? Yeah, because um, for me, I, I, I'm so, a lot of these teams are small yeah. and intimate. And the beautiful part about our business is we don't have to scale to this immense human capital number of right. staff to do really, really incredible things. And so my interpretation of that is culture and protecting the culture and the nucleus of our environment is so important. Yep. You insert one wrong person and you have ruined the whole culture of the team. Totally. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, I think all the way from step one, and I'd go even before what I just said, role clarity. So I, what I find a lot of times is the, the hiring can be reactive, right? Oh my gosh, we're at capacity. Everybody's really, really busy. We have to hire the next person. Time out, right? And this is where I come in. Mm -hmm. What exactly is happening? Are we at capacity? Like, have we done any subtle little time management studies asking everyone to kind of evaluate, you know, should I be doing this task right now? If so, great. Um, should I be doing it? Because it's important. It's, it's my skill set, but I don't have to do it right now. Should I not be doing it? And somebody else should. Or should no one be doing this? Um, and I think sometimes we get in a hurry and we just keep doing, well, we've always done it this way, right? 100%. So I'm back in all the way to, whoa, maybe we don't even need to hire. Right. Let's, let's t and again, let's read, let's define hurry. roles. Yeah. Have you defined roles? Have you defined well, roles? Well, yeah. Well, have you? <laughs> and you probably find out, well, you actually probably now, have. And how does that relate to where you're trying to go? And this is where there's impatience, right? The advisor's like, oh, forget it. I don't have time to figure this all out. I'm like, I'm but, too busy. but if you will take a little bit of time right now, we might actually end up not having to hire. And if we do, we're going to hire the right person mm -hmm. and maybe even shuffle some things around. And that experience is going to be even better for that team member. Mm. Let me ask you, our friend, have you talked with him about this specifically? Has he expressed this as his... Not. We have a follow-up call on mon next Monday. You do? Okay. Yes. Okay. He reached out and said, can we chat again next Monday? <laughs> okay. All right. Good. But this I'm is exactly, sure that'll be in there. Yeah. I, I imagine this is probably a common thread. Totally. Yeah. It's not unique to successful and, wealth management teams. And I'm sympathetic. The time restraint is what causes a lot of these advisors to just jump, leap. I got to hire. My team is drowning. And it is a little bit more painful to take a step back and say, well, hold on, let's really figure this out. But in every situation I've seen where you take a little bit of a step back to figure it out for a minute, then you plunge forward once you hire the right person. Okay, so let me ask you the, the tough... Let me flip the coin upside down. Mm -hmm. and, you, and, and in that process, we've defined the roles we've gone through and... We have some people on the team who are who are expressing this. I, I'm so overworked, but yet we we identify that maybe probably not. Maybe you're just doing something in a process that can be automated. We can accelerate your efficiency. Maybe you do determine the hard truth. You're really just not working not that capable. hard. Yeah. Not capable, or probably better put. <laughs> how do you, how do we address that? Because I, I also, it's hard to have the, these are people I've worked with for a number of years. They're, yep. they're part of my family, they're my team, right? Yeah. 
Um, and how do I address these sometimes harsh realities? Yeah, so one thing I would say is this all feeds into you got to have the systems in place to be having these continuous assessments and conversations. It can't be a, we've never even looked at any of this. We've never had these conversations until suddenly we have to hire. And now we're trying to figure out if we really need to hire. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you've already got a system in place, which I think is really important um, of now somebody's on, let's pretend we're moving backwards and you know, somebody's on board either the leader themselves or the director of ops, whoever's gonna be in the team development role has to have a process for having either quarterly or at least monthly discussions with team members, especially when they're new, mm -hmm. and having actual clear expectations. So you're constantly assessing, yeah. are they optimizing their day? Right. If they're not, why? So it's not just this massive project all of a sudden out of left field every time you want to hire. Um, and I think that helps also when you get to that point. In the relationships that you have, the customers you have, do you do that from afar or are you intimately involved in that process or it depends? It depends. So okay. in the so this goes back to your, you know, if, if I'm in the really kind of deep client uh, consulting mm -hmm. engagement, I'm very much involved in okay. that. The extreme um, version extreme of your involvement. Extreme version of my okay. involvement. Okay. In now, the goal is, um, in fact, we're doing this right now. Extremely involved, so that I can coach the leaders and move myself out of that. Right. But I want to be there so I can observe. So, what are you going to do to prep for this conversation with this with this team member? What have you observed? What are the issues? How are you going to say that? Right. What yeah. questions are you going to ask? So it's kind of a training year of the leaders. Got it. Okay. So, so that I could step back a little even bit. Even in the most extreme example, it's like I, I am a temporary participant in this firm. Yes. To the extent that I'm needed, welcome, all the above. Yes. But the whole ultimate objective is I will remove myself. Yes. Okay. And they're like, but you're gonna work yourself out of a job. I'm like, don't I'm not worried don't about, worry that. about that. I'm not worried about yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Now the other extreme, right, is just I'm consulting to the advisor hey, here's some tools, here's some thoughts, start having these feedback conversations, here's a, here's a sample, right? Um, mm -hmm. Start really holding your team members accountable to very specific, clear behaviors, otherwise they don't know. Yeah. So the other thing that I, I would love to chat with you a little bit about is um, really helping those take on more of not a leadership role, I guess it is, but empowering team members to take mm -hmm. on more responsibility and ownership of what it is that they are doing. Yep. Because uh, some people just, it's uncomfortable. Yep. Maybe they don't know how. How do I learn that? How do I instill that? Yep. How do I help them and foster that? So step one, I would say is, this kind of goes back to you've got to have some clarity about the direction of your firm and the roles that you need, you know, on the mm -hmm, team mm -hmm. and really identify, well, which ones actually need to have true management capability and, and, and leadership initiative mm -hmm. versus how do I just inspire a certain leadership influence motive mm -hmm. from everybody on the team, right. which I would say, you know, and this is another, you know, uh, another name drop for a book that I love, um, 360 Degree Leader by John Maxwell, that really talks about the fact that leadership is merely influence. And so you can be a leader, you can lead from any position in an entire firm. 
Um, and all it means is you're influencing, either People, across yeah. or up or down. Mm -hmm. um, and I think step one for fostering a, a culture like that, as silly as it sounds, goes back to something as simple as these quarterly firm meetings. Like if the janitor has no idea what the bigger purpose is of the company that they work for, right? What do you expect? That, what do you expect from them? Mm -hmm. Like, why aren't they owning their job? Why aren't they taking initiative? Because they have no idea what they're connecting it to. Right. Um, so I think as simple as make sure everybody has the opportunity to connect with the bigger picture, the why of why do we do this? Why does it matter? They have no idea what it feels like to be sitting in a client meeting and to see somebody have some sort of emotional like response or appreciation for something that that advisor did for them. Mm -hmm. And that would be another kind of side note, like let people shadow those experiences so they feel more connected to that. Yeah. Um, kind of a long-winded answer, but I think it really starts from giving them the connection to the bigger picture why, and then asking them, challenging them in these quarterly discussions, right? Hey, how could you show influence or impact to this firm in the next 90 days. Mm -hmm. Like coach them a little bit, right? right? Right, yeah, and helping. And sometimes it's hard to extract that, but it does begin with asking those questions. And some people just won't have that. They might be just true operators, they're doers, they're task completers, and there are spots for that in yeah. firms, right? And understand And that. you just have Accept to understand that. that. Right, okay. Okay, personal question. As you uh, embarked in, you know, this practice that you've successfully established, how did you effectively, which I really respect of, you know, I, I, I can only scale to X. I only have so much time based on all of the other facets of my life that take precedent, yep. being, being a wife, you know, yep. working on the bigger home enterprise and vision as well as I still have my own personal aspirations and how do I spin all, how, how do I spin these plates, but manage these plates that stay in control. I'm not saying it's perfect, right? but there's deliberate, um, it sounds, it looks like yeah. <laughs> deliberate <laughs> guardrails that some really struggle with. So I'll say this because I, this is a really important part of this. I could not have created those guardrails without the financial stability that I had from you know, a, a, a husband who has a practice. And, and I will say, though, that goes back to when we got married, we decided, hey, we want the flexibility mm -hmm. for me and my career to not have to rely on my revenue and income. Right. And so I, I do feel proud that we made that decision early on so that when the time came and I wanted to try something like this, I could. Yeah, the door, the the door, door was, was open. there and yeah. there was no risk other than my pride, which is not a small thing, right. of let me do this really deliberately and have those guardrails so that I don't have to chase or take on something that is going to stretch me thin or isn't what I want to do. Right. I mean, I know advisors, you know, finally at some point get to a, a period where they don't have to work with certain clients that are just not going to bring them joy. Right. And in fact, deflate them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I you and never I talked about a little that. bit like more, more is not always better. No. And sometimes we get so caught up, ego gets so totally. caught up. The engine of monetization and the volume of more and more and more and increasing revenue 
becomes the existence. And for many, I think it's a mistake. Who's to say that uh, uh, the business right next door, you know, who is very de definitive and selective that we only take on X number of clients. We, a good size practice for us is this. Right. If the clients fit the mold, yeah. uh, who's to say that that's any less successful than the one doing exponentially more whatever pick, revenue, pick, pick whatever. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Believe me, I, I struggled with this. I still do a little bit of the envy of, I see some of my consulting friends and they're just getting gigantic, right? Mm -hmm. And then I really think about her. We get on a call together and they're like, are you nuts? You're a genius. Right. Like, we're miserable. Yeah. Like, no, you're, don't change the way that you're doing it. Yeah. Like, it's working. 100%. And you're happy. There, there's where it's like keeping the FOMO in check, right? <laughs> what, <laughs> totally. what, what defines my true fulfillment? Let me put that down on paper and don't lose sight of that. Yeah. For um, me, it was freedom and flexibility. I mean, those were the two cornerstones. I hired a consultant. I, you know, I'm like, I, I practice what I preach. I spent an entire day and a half with this person and you know, it was like $6,000, I can't remember what it was. And that's the only thing I really walked away from, but it was the most important thing that has stuck all this time. And I'm like, is this going to interfere with my freedom and flexibility to do the things that I wanna do in my life with my parents, with my husband? And if I feel like I'm pushing to the limit, then it's maybe not no, it's hey, you know, prospective client, I can't right now. I don't have availability. I will in about six months. If that fits your timeline and mm -hmm. you want to circle back, great. If I want to, if I'm, you know, right. inspired by them. <laughs> Do you feel that investment you made, that's, let's say it was $6,000 investment, you feel in going, was that invaluable? Or was it, I pretty much just affirmed what I probably had already known. What's your assessment of that My investment? assessment, it was invaluable. It and, was. And, and it's funny, I talked to, again, I have this really cool group of consulting women friends, and, and you know, we do compete in a sense, but like, mm -hmm. we don't feel that way. And There's so many. There's, so, there's a, I mean, we give each yeah. other clients. I'm like, I can't take this one. Do you want to work with this person? I think it'd be a great fit. It's wonderful. And um, we are always reminded of the fact that when you're in your own mind, in your own headspace, I don't care how great of a consultant you are or how much of a strategic thinker you are, how well you know yourself, it's not the same as having somebody else hold the mirror up and help pull those things out of you. Mm -hmm. So no, totally invaluable. I don't know that I would have gotten to those two words and I don't know if I would have realized how much they meant to me. Yeah, that's really good. That's important, I think, for most. Certainly as you become to a sustainable... I. I you know, I've reached beyond the part of my career of survival and I'm now yeah. sustainable and I really start thinking about my mainstay. What is my purpose in this right. in this space? Why Who am I is doing it that this? I want to work on? Why am I doing this? What do I want my practice to look like? Not what somebody, the noise around no. me is telling me it should look like. And how do I best execute? Yep. Uh, it's easier said than done. Totally. Um, but you shouldn't go it alone. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I have a coach still today, not the same one. Good for um, you. But I mean, I mean, I just, I think it's an invaluable relationship to have. Now, I don't, you know, meet twice a month. I'm not, you know, meeting mm -hmm. with her like I, I do with some of my own clients. But it's invaluable. Every time I'm like, gosh, she made me see something or think about something that I hadn't before. Yeah, just different perspectives. Sometimes all you need. By the way, you said something that I do think is really important to share with you know, any, any business owner out there, um, but especially in this wealth, 
advisor, financial planning space, I think it's one of, if not, the toughest business to build because of how important and critical and sophisticated the work is that mm -hmm. you're doing for clients. But then you have to find the human capital and develop them and retain them. And it, it's really, truly difficult. Yeah. Um, and so what I would say is when you do sit down and think about your vision, start with your life vision, mm -hmm. not the business vision first. I, I would start with the life vision. What do you want your life to look like today, five years, 10 years? Where are your people? If that's your spouse, your children, are they grown and out of the house? Maybe that's going to change kind of some of the decisions you're making today. I've got a client, actually my original client, he has been very intentional about the fact that his kids are young right now and he is pressing on the gas and he is growing, but not as much as he could be. Right. And he's doing it on purpose because he wants to be home every day, go to, you know, soccer games, cheer, you know, practices, whatever. All the things. That's really important. He's like, I'm going to be 44 when they're starting to get out of the house. Then I'll press on the gas right. really hard if I want to. Exactly. That time can always come. Yeah. It doesn't mean I'm not running a good business, no. but, but everything in life is also an ebb and flow and it's a series of chapters that makes a, hopefully a wonderful novel. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, this, I, this was incredible time. I loved it. I really, really appreciate you coming in. Thank you, Cheryl, for introducing <laughs> us yes, once again. Yes, thank you, Cheryl. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, till next time. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Be well. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Please subscribe, like, share, leave a comment or review. Be sure to check us out on social media at Optimized Advisor Podcast. Till next time. <laughs>